Hi, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, episode 207. Okay, so this is another one of those episodes that I've been wanting to do for a long time, but I've kept it on the back burner for a while because I wanted to make sure that I had all of my proverbial ducks in a row. The subject in question has to do with Peter Joseph's 2007 documentary film Zeitgeist, or more specifically, the claims the film makes regarding mythology and or ancient religion, and how all that supposedly ties into the so-called Christ myth. And I know 2007 was a long time ago, and the Zeitgeist film series has already been discussed and criticized Six Ways to Sunday, but as a lover of things like mythology, comparative religion, ancient history, and also just as a person who cares about facts and intellectual honesty, it still gets under my skin whenever I hear people repeating the ideas or what I deem as the fallacies or falsehoods found in the movie. I want to make my quote-unquote agenda crystal clear right up front. If you're a regular listener, then you're probably well aware that I'm an atheist, more specifically an agnostic atheist, so I don't take issue with the claims made in part one or the first third of Zeitgeist because I'm some devout believer who feels a need to defend the faith. To be completely honest, I'm on the fence when it comes to mythicism, uh, the belief that there was no historical Jesus and the idea or concept of Jesus was based on earlier myths of dying and rising gods. I maintain a healthy skepticism when it comes to mythicism, but I'm not closed off to the idea and I'm willing to be persuaded. Often on the show, I myself have brought up the pagan influences on Christianity, the pagan roots of certain Christian holidays and traditions, so I'm not spooked by the idea that Christianity was influenced by older or surrounding traditions. My problem isn't with mythicism in general, but rather the specific and what I see as the intellectually dishonest or, in fairness, maybe just the plain erroneous claims made in Zeitgeist. So on the off chance that you're not familiar with Zeitgeist, it started out as a kind of self-made, self-published video that became this viral internet sensation. It's especially popular among conspiracy theorist types. No offense intended, just didn't know how else to word that. The movie's divided into three parts. The first part, the part I really take issue with, deals with Christianity and its supposed roots as a solar religion. The second part deals with economics or global finance, the type of stuff that makes my eyes glaze over. And the third part is a kind of conspiracy theorist take on 9-11. I take issue with a number of 9-11 conspiracy theories too, but that's a whole other can of worms. One of Peter Joseph's main influences for part one of the first Zeitgeist movie was an author and researcher named D.M. Murdoch, who also used to go by the pen name Acharya S. She wrote several self-published books, nothing wrong with that in and of itself. I myself still harbor dreams of knocking out a couple of books, and I imagine when I finally get around to it, they'll most likely have to be self-published. But I think her critics have tried to use the fact that she's self-published as fodder for the argument that she had ideas that were so fringe she couldn't get published by a quote-unquote legitimate publishing house or university press. 
As far as her academic credentials go, I believe she had a BA in classics, specifically Greek civilization, which in fairness, I'm sure does come in handy when studying or researching the ancient world, especially the Hellenistic Mediterranean world that early Christianity developed in. And sadly, D.M. Murdoch died of breast cancer just last year. So even though I'm going to be somewhat critical of her work, I'm going to try to conduct myself as respectfully as possible because I know she's no longer here to defend herself. And I really was rather shocked and saddened when I learned that she had died. Even though I obviously disagree with some of her ideas, I'd still rather have her alive and out in the world. And I have to admit, as vexing as I found her at times, she was an attractive and charismatic individual. And I always feel weird when I find myself factoring in someone's looks when talking about the dead, as if had she been unattractive, her loss wouldn't have been as bad. Well, at least I'm self-aware, to some degree. But yeah, I, I believe she was only in her mid-50s when she passed, so relatively young. Cancer's torn a swath through my family, so I know firsthand how horrible it can be. As my father would say, it's a shame. And uh, oddly, it, it says here that Acharya supposedly died on December 25th, which if true would be quite ironic given how one of the claims I take issue with is her and Zeitgeist's assertion that numerous ancient gods were all born on, you guessed it, December 25th. And I think she liked that idea because it lent credence to her Christ as a solar deity hypothesis, when of course Jesus, if he was an actual historical figure, wasn't actually born on December 25th. This is one of many examples, or it's probably one of many examples, of the Christianization of pagan traditions. The birthday of a solar deity, Sol Invictus, the unconquerable sun, and or the god Mithra, or Mithras, a Persian deity who later became a popular god in the Greco-Roman world, was celebrated on December 25th. An alternate explanation is that Hippolytus guessed that Jesus' conception would have been during the spring equinox and then added nine months, taking us to roughly December 25th. And just for reference, Hippolytus was active in the 3rd century CE. Now, there were some drums, as I think the kids uh, like to say, in the world of mythicism involving uh, Murdoch. Bible scholar and mythicist Robert M. Price, a fellow Lovecraft enthusiast, gave one of her early books, her first, I believe, The Christ Conspiracy, a scathing review, but at some point in the aftermath of that, they ended up actually becoming friends. Another high-profile mythicist and scholar, uh, well, high-profile for a mythicist anyway, Richard Carrier, also criticized her work. Then, somehow, he ended up becoming friendly with her as well. And I think in 2013, it was, the three of them together wrote a book taking on biblical scholar Bart Ehrman, who it's safe to say is not a mythicist. I think Carrier and Murdoch may have had another falling out, because I recently found some old Facebook posts of hers that are very critical of Carrier, to say the least, that date back to 2014. One of the criticisms of Murdoch that I've heard echoed numerous times is that she relied heavily on the work of kind of crank or fringe scholars, some whose work is rather outdated, like Gerald Massey, a 19th century poet and quote-unquote self-taught Egyptologist, who nevertheless had a very impressively bushy Nietzschean stash, I must say. 
According to Acharya S. A.K.A. D.M. Murdoch, even though Peter Joseph was influenced by her work, she didn't have much direct involvement with Zeitgeist. I believe, according to her, um, she had provided Peter Joseph with some images early on, but supposedly then didn't really get involved in, again until the very last minute. But despite that, she still went to bat for Joseph and repeatedly defended Zeitgeist. Uh, maybe I'll actually play a, a clip from an interview that Aaron Ra, a, a prominent atheist, did with her. I want to make, mention that uh, it, uh, your book and and some of the comments that I've been getting prior to this video uploading, you know, we've had, we had a little bit of a troll war uh, in the video leading up to this, and there were some very strange allegations, as there, as there typically are. Whenever we're talking about Jesus mythicism, somebody always wants to draw a connection to the movie Zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I saw that movie, I remember thinking that yeah, there's very little of that film, because I'm, I'm familiar with the subject, but there was very little of that film that I could verify, and there was a whole lot that I could point out that, that wasn't actually true. And, and so there's, you know, there's a, that movie is highly questionable, and I don't think anybody here is representing that film or necessarily anything in that film. Would that be correct? No. 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 <laughs> Let's step back from that for okay. a minute now. Okay, so that film was created by someone who contacted me a year before and asked right. me for some images, and uh, we steered him towards images that were ultimately several of which were used in the film. And then a year later I got contacted by, I, I didn't really know him, Peter Joseph, and then all of a sudden he showed me the film and... And I said, holy moly, i got to talk to this guy. So I talked to him, and I corrected him on a couple of things. But otherwise, and we're only talking about the religion part, the first The first third of that part movie. Of the first film. Yeah. Um, otherwise, other than the corrections I gave him, it is accurate. Now, I don't know if anyone else noticed that, but it jumped out at me. Other than the corrections I gave him, it is accurate. Well... How about saying what it was that he got wrong? You know, it might be tiny little things that don't really matter, or they might be some doozies, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I found that kind of odd. Except for the stuff he got wrong, it was accurate, you know? And I probably won't play it uh, just because it's such a short clip. But later on that same interview, Aaron brings up another criticism that's often leveled against Zeitgeist. And that's that has a problem with, with uh, a homophone. And a homophone isn't a gay instrument. It's uh, basically a homonym. You know, two words that sound alike but have uh, different meanings or spellings. Um, so Peter Joseph uses the term son of God, S-U-N, almost like he's using that as evidence that Jesus was really a solar deity. The problem being that that specific play on words only works in English. I don't think it would have worked in first century Greek. But Acharya S. basically says that that wasn't meant to be taken seriously, that it's just a little pun. It's a play on words that poets and scholars over the centuries supposedly used to like to employ. Uh, take that for what it's worth, I guess. But I know this has been quite a preamble, so I might as well finally get into 
discussing the movie's specific claims, and I've already done that a little, but uh, I'll play a clip from Zeitgeist in which Peter Joseph rattles off a list of ancient gods claiming that they all have these very specific, shall we say, Christ-like attributes in common. Broadly speaking, the story of Horus is as follows. Horus was born on December 25th of the Virgin Isis, Mary. His birth was accompanied by a star in the east, and upon his birth he was adored by three kings. At the age of 12 he was a prodigal child teacher, and at the age of 30 he was baptized by a figure known as Anup, and thus began his ministry. Horus had 12 disciples he traveled about with, performing miracles such as healing the sick and walking on water. Horus was known by many gestural names such as the truth, the light, God's anointed son, the good shepherd, the lamb of God, and many others. After being betrayed by Typhon, Horus was crucified, buried for three days, and thus resurrected. These attributes of Horus, whether original or not, seem to permeate many cultures of the world, for many other gods are found to have the same general mythological structure. Attis of Phrygia, born of the Virgin Nanon, December 25th, crucified, placed in a tomb, and after three days was resurrected. Krishna of India, born of the Virgin Devaki, with a star in the east signaling his coming. He performed miracles with his disciples, and upon his death was resurrected. Dionysus of Greece, born of a virgin on December 25th, was a traveling teacher who performed miracles such as turning water into wine. He was referred to as the King of Kings, God's only begotten Son, the Alpha and Omega, and many others. And upon his death, he was resurrected. Mithra of Persia, born of a virgin on December 25th, he had 12 disciples and performed miracles, and upon his death was buried for three days and thus resurrected. He was also referred to as the Truth, the Light, and many others. Interestingly, the sacred day of worship of Mithra was Sunday. So I think as a lover of mythology and as a skeptic, what sent red flags up for me regarding that clip when I first watched Zeitgeist is how uniform the proposed similarities are. There's no doubt that there are similarities and parallels to be found between different religions and mythologies. For instance, when I was a kid, I remember being struck myself by the prevalence of the dying and rising myth and how much it reminded me of the Christian story of the death and resurrection. The Norse god Odin hanging self-impaled from the world tree, the Egyptian god Osiris torn apart and resurrected, and so on. So there's definitely these archetypal ideas and images that we find across the board. In some cases, it might be a matter of cultural cross-pollination or direct line. In others, it might have more to do with the fact that as human beings, there are certain ideas or symbols that resonate with us emotionally and or psychologically. So we find them showing up somewhat universally. But when you see these very specific claims, like all these gods were all born on the 25th specifically, or that they were all crucified, I think that definitely raises skeptical alarm bells and cries out for some fact-checking. Now, one thing I've noticed about Acharya S, and this is as close as I'll probably get to an ad hominem when talking about her, is that she seems to 
sometimes take things a, a bit too personally, and rather than sticking with the facts or admitting when she's wrong, she would instead kind of defiantly backpedal or move the goalpost. For instance, when people pointed out the problem with claiming all these gods were all born on December 25th, Instead of simply saying, yeah, you're right, not all these figures were technically born on the 25th, she instead would get indignant and claim they were using the term the 25th, um, I don't know, generally or broadly, to mean that these figures were all connected to the winter solstice. Her theory being that Christ was just another cookie-cutter god in a successive line of solar deities, but to me, not only is this intellectually dishonest, it's not very scholarly. As a scholar, I don't mean I'm a scholar, but, <laughs> but her and other scholars, I think your job in part is to accurately transmit information. And calling foul on the December 25th thing isn't just splitting hairs. There's a big difference between saying a figure is connected to or associated with the winter solstice and stating as a fact that that figure was said to, at least according to the narrative, have been born specifically on the 25th. In my opinion, you know, just be honest, point out the actual parallels without stretching or fudging the facts to fit your narrative. Okay, so now I'll address some of Peter Joseph's claims regarding some of these specific deities. So first, Dionysus, arguably my favorite god. You guys already know I'm a huge Doors fan, and Jim had an affinity for Dionysus. And back in my angst-ridden early 20s, I used to read a lot of Nietzsche, or Nietzsche, Tomato Tomato, and I especially liked his book, The Birth of Tragedy, in which he talks about art and music and the relationship between the Dionysian and Apollonian principles. And also, Dionysus is just plain awesome. The association with alcohol and intoxication, hanging out with wild women, etc. But of course, Dionysus was more than just a mere wine god. He was kind of a god of primordial ecstasy, as he's described in the title of one book I've read, he's an archetypal image of indestructible life. And probably because of his association with uh, the vine and grapes, he also was associated with things like civilization and agriculture, I believe, and uh, even um, the giving of laws, etc. And I think, uh, <laughs> this is a whole nother can of worms, but I think Acharya S. also argued that um, there was some connection between Dionysus and Moses. But anyway, was Dionysus born on December 25th? Some say he was born or his birth was celebrated around January 6th, but Acharya says this is still equivalent to December 25th when you figure in or adjust for the change to the Julian calendar. I don't know. The virgin birth thing is really quite a stretch. There's two different versions of Dionysus's birth narrative. In one, it's said that Zeus had been having an affair with a mortal woman named Semele. Zeus's jealous wife, Hera, tricks the pregnant Semele into requesting that Zeus reveal his true form to her. Zeus finally appears wreathed in lightning or thunderbolts. A mere mortal, Semele was unable to withstand his true form and was incinerated by his lightning. 
Zeus scoops up the unborn Dionysus and sews him inside his own thigh to finish his gestation. And thusly, Dionysus is known as being twice born. In the other version of the tale, Hera lured the baby Dionysus with toys, and he is then violently ripped apart and consumed by the Titans, leaving nothing but his heart, which Zeus alternately either once again sews into his own thigh or gives to Semele to consume, so that Dionysus may develop again inside her womb. Was Dionysus crucified? Not in any of the versions of the myths that I've read. I guess being eaten and ripped apart by titans was bad enough. There were images of some kind of amulet floating around on the net that supposedly depicted a crucified Dionysus, but from what I could find, the opinion seems to be that it was either a fake or if real, it probably dated back to around the 3rd century, meaning that the crucifixion imagery could have been influenced by Christianity rather than the other way around. Peter Joseph claims Dionysus was known as the only begotten son of God and the king of kings. As others have pointed out, this doesn't really make a lot of sense. Greek mythology, or the religion of the ancient Greeks, was of course polytheistic. And Zeus, the king of the gods, is famously depicted as a kind of divine philanderer. He had many children sired with both mortals and other Olympian deities. Some of them include Ares, Athena, Apollo, Artemis, Aphrodite, uh, Dionysus, of course, uh, Hermes, Heracles, or Hercules, Helen of Troy, Hephaestus, Perseus, Minos, the Muses, the Graces, and so on and so on. So that was one hell of a big family, and Dionysus was far from an only child. So let's move on to Horus. Now, Horus is the son of Osiris and uh, the mother goddess Isis. And I've long been fascinated by Egyptian mythology, too, especially that trio or trinity of gods, Isis, Horus, and Osiris. So firstly, Murdoch and Joseph try to suggest that Horus is the product of yet another virgin birth, this is another stretch. The myth goes something like this. Osiris's jealous brother Set, or Seth, uh, the Greek uh, equivalent being Typhon, kills and dismembers Osiris. Osiris's wife, the goddess Isis, manages to collect all the parts except for his privy member, shall we say. So she fashions him a magical phallus, uh, hovers over it or on it in the form of a bird, and thusly Horus is conceived. So more of a kind of magical sex act between husband and wife than an immaculate conception. Was Isis technically a virgin before the conception of Horus? Who knows? Even though they're fictional characters, if they were husband and wife, I would imagine they probably would have consummated the marriage earlier. I believe Joseph and Murdoch also claim Horus was crucified. When confronted with this, they do that weird passive-aggressive backpedaling thing and then claim they just meant he was depicted in cruciform, meaning in some artwork he's depicted in an almost T-shape. But ancient Egyptian art, with the exception of statuary, was very 2D, shall we say. Flat-looking characters in somewhat odd or unnatural positions or postures. It's a pretty big leap to go from Horus with his arms outstretched to Horus being crucified. And if all they meant was a cruciform pose, that's what they should have stated originally instead of getting indignant when corrected or called out. 
Another weird thing they do is to try to draw a connection between the Virgin Mary and Isis by claiming they shared a similar name. Murdoch claims Isis was known as Isis Mary. Uh, Mary is a generic Egyptian adjective meaning beloved. It was used very liberally when describing gods or important figures, and I doubt it has any connection to the Hebrew Miriam. In fairness, images of the Virgin Mary were influenced by images of Isis. The cult of Isis had become fairly popular in the classical or Greco-Roman world. There were depictions known as lactans that showed Isis nursing or holding the infant Horus on her lap, which bear uncanny resemblance to later images of Mary. But once again, just state the parallels in a plain, honest way. Don't fudge the truth to support your narrative. Let's see, Addis. Addis was indeed yet another dying and rising god. Once again, the virgin birth thing is, you guessed it, a bit of a stretch. There was a deity possessing both male and female sexual organs. Fearful, the Olympians had the male sex organ cut off. It sprouted up as an almond tree. The goddess Nana put an almond on her breast and became impregnated, and that's how Addis was conceived. Was Addis crucified? Well, not quite. He castrated himself under a tree. Close enough for some, I guess. Uncannily similar to the story of Jesus, isn't it? Almonds and a self-castration. Then a uh, Mithras. Well, no doubt, we already know about the link between Mithras or Mithra and December 25th. But was he born of a virgin? Well, again, a bit of a stretch. Mithras sprang forth fully formed from a rock. And not to make fun, but uh, we can probably imagine why that rock was a virgin. Hard to get a prom date when, when you're in a regularly shaped mound of stone. Did Mithra have 12 disciples, like Peter Joseph suggests? Well, that's probably a stretch, too. Mithra did have a couple of assistants and a bunch of animal helpers, but it seems this idea of 12 disciples is taken from an image in which Mithra appears to be flanked on either side by six panels, 12 altogether, each containing a human figure. A bit of a leap to go from that to 12 disciples. So now Krishna. Was Krishna born on the 25th? Not from what I could ascertain. From multiple sources, the consensus seems to be he would have been born, if he were real, around uh, uh, sometime in July, or at least what would be July for us. Was he uh, the product of a virgin birth? Not really. An immaculate conception, perhaps, but not a virgin birth. Lord Krishna is a savior figure, and there is something reminiscent of the Jesus story, although, of course, Hinduism far predates Christianity. The god Vishnu agreed to be born on earth to remove sin from the world. He was born to a woman named Devaki. There was a prophecy that Devaki's eighth son would kill her brother Kanza. In an attempt to thwart the prophecy, Kanza brutally killed six of Devaki's children. So right there, her and her husband had seven children naturally born before Krishna's birth. So not really a virgin by my standards. Was Krishna crucified? No, he was shot in the foot by a hunter who mistook him for a deer. Seriously. Uh, there's a lot of other points I could have disputed, but I'd be here forever going into the minutia involving each god Peter Joseph makes claims about in Zeitgeist. So as I said at the top of the show, Zeitgeist originally came out in 2007, and somewhat sadly, I think, to this day when you Google something like Addis or Krishna birth date, 
All this heavily fudged garbage, popularized by Zeitgeist, still comes up near the top of the search results. I think the allure of Zeitgeist is the lure of conspiracy theories in general. People want to feel they're privy to secret information, like they're in on something or a part of something bigger than themselves, that they're better than the rest of the blind sheep. And ironically, it's conspiracy theorists, in my opinion, who often display this kind of cult-like mindset. They'll claim it's others who aren't looking at the world with open eyes, and yet they'll swallow the rhetoric in something like Zeitgeist, hook, line, and sinker. And I have to admit, Peter Joseph does a pretty good job putting those videos together. The first one starts off with these profound-sounding voiceovers, unsettling music, frantic and jarring imagery of war and explosions. And then we go into the quote-unquote truth about religion and global finance and 9-11, as if Peter Joseph saying, the world's a scary and chaotic place and you've all been lied to, but I have the answers. My advice would be always think for yourself and don't be afraid to double-check the claims of others, including me. I hope you guys dug this episode. You know the drill, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. If you are watching on YouTube, please like, comment, and subscribe. It uh, will help the uh, podcast grow, hopefully, and get more noticed. If you want to help the show out monetarily, you can do so by using the PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page. There's all that alliteration. Or you can go to patreon.com slash theweekendout and support the show for as little as 99 cents a month and quit anytime you want. And uh, also, I recently started a second channel simply entitled Phil Reads, and it's just me uh, reading poetry and other highfalutin stuff. Uh, So if you dig that kind of thing, please subscribe to that. I think at the moment I have a whopping uh, four subscribers. (laughs) We'll see how it goes. If more people subscribe over time. I'll keep that going. If not, just to save some face, I'll close the whole damn thing down. All right, guys, until uh, next week.